Welcome to the Come Follow Me podcast for teens and for parents of teens, a podcast to supplement your weekly study of the Come Follow Me curriculum with thoughts, ideas, principles, stories, and questions all geared towards helping teenagers better follow Christ through their teenage years. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another edition of the Daily Drive Podcast for Teens. I'm Josh Downs, and today's episode is episode 27, He is Risen. And we're going to be taking a look at Matthew chapter 28, Mark 16, Luke 24, and John chapters 20 through 21. Oh, how I love these chapters and this particular topic. And I know I say that every week, but it's true. This one in particular, though, for for several reasons. Uh, one, because of all the toothaches that I've had and the root canals that I've had to go through. Um, also because of all the, the toes that I've stubbed or the times that I've, I've hit my funny bone, my elbow, or the uh, times I've been sick or the surgeries that I've had to have or the, the receding hairline <laughs> that is, is starting to show and all the gray hair that's showing up. I love today's lesson because of the way that it's getting harder to see things and with my eyes or hear things with my ears as I get up there in years a little bit. I love today's episode because of all the aches and pains in my, my joints and in my knees in particularly. I love today's lesson because it's all about the resurrection. In my scriptures in John chapter 11, I probably mentioned this before, but I have two flower petals that have just been pressed and dried in, and I've left in my scriptures, one from each of my grandmother's funerals. And I chose to put them in this chapter in particular because of what the Savior taught at the time of raising Lazarus from the dead. When he said, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. And that to me is what the resurrection is all about. And that's why I'm so excited and looking forward for your study and for my study this week as we go through the Come Follow Me curriculum and look at the topic of He is Risen and specifically the resurrection of Christ. To introduce this topic and these chapters, let's first just go through the summary that's been provided for us in which it reads, To many observers, the death of Jesus of Nazareth may have seemed like an ironic end to a remarkable life. Wasn't this the man who raised Lazarus from the dead? Hadn't he withstood the murderous threats from the Pharisees time after time? He had demonstrated power to heal blindness, leprosy, and palsy. The very winds and the seas obeyed him, and yet here he was hanging from a cross, declaring, It is finished. There may have been some sincere surprise in the mocking words, He saved others, himself he cannot save. But we know that Jesus' death was not the end of the story. We know that the silence of the tomb was temporary and that Christ's saving work was just beginning. He is found today not among the dead, but among the living. His teachings would not be silenced, for his loyal disciples would preach the gospel in all nations, trusting his promise that he would be with them always, and even until the end of the world. It's a great introduction to this particular topic. And there's three great principles I've chosen to share with you today. And there's so much in here to take a look at that obviously the rest will have to come from your own personal study. But the first principle that I wanted to focus on and share with you today, we'll just simply refer to as Sunday will come. I remember Elder Worthland's talk. In fact, I think in episode 15, we went in depth uh, about it as it was uh, around the time of Easter. 
But just the concept that there will be dark Fridays in each of our lives, just like the dark Friday that existed in the world's history, the darkest of all Fridays when the Savior was crucified. And I can't imagine how dark that particular Friday was for all all of his followers, his disciples, the apostles, as they witnessed firsthand his death and the darkness that must have overcome them, not fully understanding or recognizing what was about to happen. Elder Worthland talked at length about how we'll all have our dark Fridays, those moments where the world just seems to fall apart around us. But yet in his talk, he testified that just like that Sabbath morning that the Savior was resurrected, that Sunday will come, the light will come, restoration will come, help will come, better days will come. In each of the sections you'll be looking at this week, I would invite you to mark the phrase that simply says, He is not here, He is risen. You'll find it in Matthew chapter 28, verses 5 through 6, and Mark chapter 16, verse 6, Luke chapter 24, verse 6. Fear ye not, he is not here, he is risen. One of the talks I wanted to draw your attention to that goes along with this thought that Sunday will come is that from Elder Uchtdorf, uh, titled, He Will Place You on His Shoulders and Carry You Home. In this particular talk, he, he told the story of a city that was near his hometown, the city of Dresden, during World War II, and he referenced how common it was uh, for him, especially as a young boy, to hear the sirens go off in the middle of the night, indicating that uh, bombs were potentially falling, and how they would have to take shelter, and just the devastation that would happen as a result of some of these shellings and bombings that would take place during the, the war. Well, in order to teach a very significant and important principle, one that outlines the, the hope that we can hold on to, even in the darkest of times, he told the story of the city of Dresden. In his talk, he re- recounted, not far from where my family lived was the city of Dresden. Those who lived there witnessed perhaps a thousand times what I had seen. Massive firestorms caused by thousands of tons of explosives th- swept through Dresden destroying more than 90% of the city and leaving little but rubble and ash in their wake. In a very short time, the city once nicknamed the Jewel Box was no more. Eric Kastner, a German author, wrote of the destruction, In a thousand years was her beauty built, in one night was it utterly destroyed. During my childhood, he said, I cannot imagine how the destruction of a war our own people had started could ever be overcome. The world around us appeared totally hopeless, and without any future. And I pause there because I know that there probably have been times, if not, there certainly will be times where you will feel similar types of feelings, where the world around you will appear totally hopeless and without any future. That's just a part of the mortal experience, and I really think something that each of us has to go through. We will have our dark Fridays. That's a part of life. President Uchtdorf went on to say that last year I had the opportunity to return to Dresden, 70 years after the war. It is, once again, a jewel box of a city. The ruins have been cleared and the city has been restored and even improved. He said during his visit he saw the beautiful Lutheran church, Frankenkirch, in this Church of Our Lady, originally built in the 1700s, and it had been one of Dresden's shining jewels, but the war reduced it to a pile of rubble. In his talk, you can actually see the pictures from before and after, and it is just absolutely awe-inspiring to see the change that has happened from the destruction that it went through to where it is now. 
Speaking of the destruction, he said for many years it remained that way until it was determined that the church would be rebuilt. He said stones from the destroyed church had been stored and cataloged and when possible were used in the reconstruction. And that today you can see these fire blackened stones pockmarking the outer walls. These scars, he says, are not only a reminder of the war history of this building, but also a monument to hope, a magnificent symbol of man's ability to create new life from ashes. And then here's the message. He says, I pondered the history of Dresden and marveled at the ingenuity and resolve of those who restored what had been so completely destroyed. I felt the sweet influence of the Holy Spirit. Surely, I thought, if man can take the ruins, rubble, and remains of a broken city and rebuild an awe-inspiring structure that rises toward the heavens, then how much more capable is our Almighty Father to restore His children who have fallen, struggled, or become lost? It matters not how completely ruined our lives may seem, and I want you to understand this because there will be times where yours will seem ruined. He says, it matters not how scarlet our sins, how deep our bitterness, how lonely, abandoned, or broken our hearts may be. Even those who are without hope, who live in despair, who have betrayed trust, surrendered their integrity, or turned away from God, can be rebuilt. Save those rare sons of perdition, there is no life so shattered that it cannot be restored. The joyous news of the gospel is this, because of the eternal plan of happiness, provided by our loving Heavenly Father and through the infinite sacrifice of Jesus Christ, we can not only be redeemed from our fallen state and restored to purity, but we can also transcend mortal imagination and become heirs of eternal life and partakers of God's indescribable glory. Our Savior, the Good Shepherd, He said, knows and loves us. He knows and loves you. He knows when you're lost. He knows where you are. He knows your grief your silent pleadings, your fears, and your tears. It matters not how you became lost, whether because of your own poor choices or because of circumstances beyond your control. What matters is that you are His child and He loves you. In those moments, it can be very easy to wonder and ask the question, well, how? How do I begin to restore what feels completely broken and utterly hopeless? That was a question that was profoundly on my mind in going through things like divorce, uh, loss of a job, struggles with health, and then even struggles of faith. But the answer is really so simple. How do we begin to rebuild after things are broken? Simply by following his invitation that this entire podcast and the curriculum that we're given in the church is centered on, to come and follow me. In the Doctrine and Covenants, he said, draw near unto me and I will draw near unto you. We just have to start. President Uchtdorf said that here on earth, our thoughts and actions become encumbered with that which is corrupt, unholy, and impure. And yes, they do. The dust and filth of the world stain our souls, making it difficult to recognize and remember our birthright and purpose. But this cannot change who we truly are. The fundamental divinity of our nature remains, and the moment we choose to incline our hearts to our beloved Savior and set foot upon the path of discipleship, something miraculous happens. The love of God fills our heart, the light of truth fills our minds, we start to lose the desire to sin, and we do not want to walk any longer in darkness. I wanted to share the excerpts from this particular talk because I just think it's so fitting 
to the concept and the doctrine and the truth and the principles surrounding the resurrection, which is basically taking something that was broken, that was ruined, that was dead, and bringing new life into it. We are reminded of this on a yearly basis as we watch the seasons change and we see what was once green and thriving and alive become dead and brown and ugly, (laughs) only to then be covered by the white snow and once again brought to life. Every year throughout the seasons, we are taught of the power of Christ's atonement and his resurrection especially. And I want that to sink into you, into your hearts, young people, because I know that, again, there will be times where you will experience heartbreaking moments where your life just doesn't seem like it's ever going to be made right again. That really is a part of my life's experience and the testing that we're here to receive. But like with the story of Dresden, there is always hope. And with the Savior's power, He can take anything and everything that is broken and make it new and whole again. That's what he does. So some questions I'd like for you to consider as it relates to this concept of of being risen in the resurrection is number one, what does the phrase he is risen mean to you? What does his resurrection mean to you in your life? What parts of the resurrection are you looking forward to the most? Uh, Is it like me and never having a root canal or a cavity again or stubbing your toe or health issues or any of those kinds of things that make life sometimes really challenging? Or what else is it that means something to you? How have you experienced brokenness in your life already? What does it mean to you to know that the Savior has all power to take what has been broken and make it whole again? Make it even better than it was before. And how have you seen Him already? restore what was once lost or what was once broken some great questions to just consider as you contemplate the doctrine and the power and the blessing of christ's resurrection from the tomb now principle two this one is along the same lines but a little different we want to take a look at john chapter 20 verses 6 and 7 and a very simple concept, and one that is very easy to read over and to miss, but I think is especially important for young people, and really for all of us. These verses record, Then come a Simon Peter following him, and went into the sepulcher, and seeth the linen clothes lie, and the napkin that was about his head, not lying with the linen clothes, but wrapped together in a place by itself. In other words, upon entering the tomb, Peter noticed something that, although is very small, I think is very significant. And that is that before the Savior, the God of heaven and earth started this new day, one of the most, if not the most significant days in all of human history. He first took the time to fold his burial linens, or to make his bed. (laughs) The Savior made his bed. God was found and always was found and has been found in doing the little things like this. Maybe to show us that he could better be found by doing the little things ourselves. Little things like making our bed. Now, I know that this probably is going to strike a very tender chord with most of you young people that are listening today because it's not common. It is absolutely not common or normal for teenagers to make their bed. That is just how it is being a teenager, right? If, if you are in the habit of making your bed, well, congratulations. You are some of the select few that have been able to, to buck the trend 
and to fall into that category of making your bed each day. For the rest of us mere mortals, I just want to point out this aspect of the resurrection for lots of different reasons. But one is that it's by small and simple things that great things are brought to pass. President Uchtdorf also gave a talk titled A Matter of a Few Degrees in which he indicated that an airplane starts off on a course and if it's ever off by just a single degree, by the time it gets to its destination, it could be hundreds of miles, if not thousands of miles off from the course that it intended to take and the destination it intended to arrive at. All to teach that concept, that it's the little things that matter. Which again brings me to one of the smallest things that you and I can do each day to set our day and our life on the best course possible. It's a single degree that can, I believe, drastically impact the course of your day. And yeah, the answer may surprise you, and you may not fully agree with it, but I'm going to challenge you to try it. Because it's what all of our mothers have reminded us to do each and every day while growing up and are probably still reminding you to do, and that is to make our beds. In fact, I can imagine you just hearing your mom's voice reminding you now to go and make your bed. (laughs) Now listen to this. This is one of the reasons why I really believe this is important. Navy Admiral William McRaven and former Navy SEAL said in a commencement speech at the University of Texas, Austin, If you make your bed every morning, you will have accomplished the first task of the day. And it will give you a small sense of pride and will encourage you to do another task and another and another. By the end of the day, that one task completed will have turned into many tasks completed. Making your bed will also reinforce the fact that little things in life matter. That one degree at the start of the day can make a big difference in the way the day ends. He said, if you want to change the world, start off by making your bed. And to me, that's fascinating that with all of his experience and all the power and influence that he had as a Navy captain and all the things he could have said, he said that, that the most important thing they could do to change the world was to start off their day by making their bed. He said, if you make your bed every morning, again, you will have accomplished the first task of the day. So young people, I want to give you that challenge that this, this podcast is all about following Christ. Come follow me. Well, one of the ways that you can do that in a very small way, but I believe in a significant way, is just simply by making your bed each morning as he would do and as he did as evidenced in the sepulcher that he was buried in. There's an old saying that cleanliness is next to godliness. And I think that that is very accurate. Isaiah the prophet wrote, Wash you, make you clean, put away the evil of your doings from before mine eyes, cease to do evil, learn to do well. Come now, let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. In modern revelation, the Lord has said, Be ye clean that bear the vessels of the Lord. And if you want an example, just look at the temple. And look at how cleanliness affects how you feel, how it actually affects the spirit. And I know you've experienced this. A clean room just feels better. A clean house just feels better. A clean car just feels better. And so again, I'm going to challenge you to strive to follow the Savior's example in cleanliness. In a world that wallows in filth, be clean. Be clean in language. Be clean in your thoughts. Be clean in in your body. Be clean in the way you dress. In my experiences in working with people, 
I found that it might be the more we clean what is dirty on the inside of us, the more we are inclined to clean up the world outside of us. That we first need to cleanse the inner vessel and then the outer vessel becomes cleansed as well. But I've also learned that cleansing the outer vessel or the world around us can also inspire us to want to clean the inner world also because it's hard for darkness to remain in light and light to remain in darkness, for cleanliness to remain where it's filthy and for filthiness to remain where it's clean. And so my invitation is again to focus on cleaning the world outside of you as well as the world inside of you. And for a lot of you, that involves just simply first focusing on cleaning your room. And what better place to start than in making your bed? (laughs) Complete the first task of the day and you'll find that others will follow. A couple of key questions for you. Number one, did you make your bed this morning? (laughs) How do you think making your bed can actually help you to better follow Christ? What can you do to remind yourself to start out the day by making your bed and by having a prayer in the process? How can a made bed possibly help spread cleanliness to other areas of your life? What currently is in your life that is in need of being cleaned up a bit? What will you do to begin the process to clean it? When has there been a time that you really appreciated something being clean? How does cleanliness seem to impact the feeling of the temple when you go? Or how different do you think it might feel to attend the temple if it wasn't clean? Maybe it had garbage and graffiti all over it instead of the white walls that we typically see in beautiful paintings. How might this principle apply to your room, (laughs) to your car, to your home, to your language, or anything that you allow into your heart and into your mind? Hopefully there's some things for you to consider on that. And I know, again, this one may strike a little bit close to the vest, but it's important. And it's just a little thing. I'll bet in listening to a Come Follow Me podcast, you never thought that you'd receive counsel or instruction to make your bed. But here it is. <laughs> That's what I'm challenging you to do and to see what it leads to. It's a small thing, but as we all know, it's by little things, by small things, that great things are brought to pass. Now for principle three, boy, there's just a lot of different places we could have gone. Didn't even have a chance to really look at the story of the two disciples on the road to Emmaus and the Savior appearing to them in disguise. It's a great story. I encourage you to to read that one and just see what you can learn, especially when it comes to inviting Christ more fully into our lives and recognizing his influence when he's with us. Um, But for this particular principle, I wanted to focus on the exchange that the Savior had with Peter after appearing to him while Peter was once again fishing. I'm sure feeling a little lost without the direct companionship of the Savior, Peter decided to go spend some time fishing, which I think is very smart and very wise and something that I would recommend and I do often myself when I am unsure of things. (laughs) I love to go fishing and can use any excuse I can get to go do that. But here's Peter out fishing and then once again the Savior appears and tells them to to cast their nets on the side to be able to to catch more fish and instantly Peter recognizes that it's the Lord. He then jumps out of the ship to swim to him and they have this this beautiful moment to to reconnect and the Savior tells them bring all the fish to the shore and, and there they receive some personal instruction while eating some of the fish that they caught. One of the things that the Savior teaches Peter through a question is when he asks them while eating their fish, knowing how much Peter loves fishing and fish, in verse 15 of John chapter 21, it's recorded, So when they had dined, Jesus saith to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me more than these? And Peter saith unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. 
he saith unto him, Feed my lambs. He saith unto him again the second time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? He saith unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He saith unto him, Feed my sheep. He saith unto him the third time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? Peter was grieved because he said unto him the third time, Lovest thou me? And he said unto him, Lord, thou knowest all things. Thou knowest that I love thee. Jesus saith unto him, Feed my sheep. There's so many things that we can learn from that exchange and, and so many discourses that have been written in depth about each of those responses and those questions. I just wanted to focus on the first one in chapter 15, especially as it re- relates to young people. When the Savior simply asks Peter, Simon, Peter, son of Jonas, lovest thou me more than these? He was referring to fish. Because he knew that Peter loved fishing. And I think before we move to any other level of discipleship, we have to first come to love the Savior more than these. Whatever the these is for each and every one of us. We all have them. And it would probably be difficult for us to answer yes to some of them more than others. There are things that we love that we don't want to give up or that we don't want to let go of. Or that we maybe even value a little bit more than our faith and than our testimony. But that is what we are trying to change. In essence, we are learning to put God first above everything else. That's what he was really asking and the question that he asked to Peter. Can you put me first above everything else? Do you love me enough to put me first above everything else? President Ezra Taft Benson, one of my favorite talks of all time, simply titled The Great Commandment, Love the Lord, said, Come unto Christ, exhorts Moroni in his closing testimony, and love God with all your might, mind, and strength. This, then, is the first and great commandment. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind, and with all thy strength. Now, why did God put the first commandment first? Because he knew that if we truly loved him, we would want to keep all his other commandments. For this is the love of God, says John, that we keep his commandments. He said we must put God in the forefront of everything else in our lives. He must come first, just as he declares in the first of his Ten Commandments, Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Which is really embodied in that question that the Lord asked Peter. Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, lovest thou me more than these? When we put God first, this is my favorite statement, maybe of all, President Benson said, when we put God first, all other things fall into their proper place or drop out of our lives. That has become a life-changing, life-anchoring motto for me to try to live my life by. To trust that when I put God first, above all other things, all of these, whatever these are, that all other things fall into their proper place or drop out of our lives. He said, our love of the Lord will govern the claims for our affection, the demands on our time, the interests we pursue, and the order of our priorities. That's a significant statement as well. He then went on to say that we should put God ahead of everyone else in our lives. And that's an important thing to understand as well. I share a story often about my daughters trying to ask and to discover for themselves how much I love them. And they would challenge that love in little conversations I would have with them when I was driving in the car when they were just little. They'd ask me things like, Dad, do you love me more than, do or do you love us more than you love uh, ice cream? Or do you love us more than you love your truck? Or do you love us more than you love mom? (laughs) All those kind of questions that kids ask. 
Well, my youngest, I think, figured that she had me. As it continued to escalate through the conversation, she finally said, Dad, do you love us more than God? To which I actually answered no. And it kind of threw them for a loop. And they said, Dad, what do you mean you don't love us more than you love God? And I tried to teach them a very important principle. And that is that the reason I love them as much as I do is because of the love that I have for God. That the more I love God, the more I actually love them. That's why we should put God ahead of everyone else in our lives. And as a a personal application of that principle, President Benson then went on to ask this question. He said, if someone wants to marry you outside the temple, whom will you strive to please, God or a mortal? If you insist on a temple marriage, you will be pleasing the Lord and blessing the other party. Why? Because that person will either become worthy to go to the temple, which would be a blessing, or they will leave which could also be a blessing, because neither of you should be unequally yoked. Lovest thou me more than these? Would you please make sure you mark that question in John chapter 21, verse 15, and then contemplate for a moment. What are the these that he might be asking of you? Lovest thou me more than these? Are they friends? Your family? Material possessions? Lovest thou me more than sports? Lovest thou me more than video games? Lovest thou me more than social media and the likes that you get? Lovest thou me more than trends or more than money or more than recognition or more than the need to attack others and defend yourself? Lovest thou me more than trading insults or spreading gossip or participating in contention? Those are the these that he would ask of us today and that I would invite you to consider in your own life. Some questions, additional questions to consider might be, what are some of the things that right now you might love more than God. That's okay to have them. We're all learning and we're trying to get to that place that God was trying to get Peter to as well. How can you learn to love God more than these things? Another question to consider might be, when have you put God first in your life? And what blessings did you see in things falling into their proper place or dropping out of your life? Another question might be, who do you know that is a good example of putting God first? When is it hardest for you to put him first? What can you do to put God first a little bit more in your life? Do you actually have to give everything up that you love to put God first? Or do you have to be willing to? And what is the difference between both? Hopefully those questions can help guide some thoughts as you internalize a little bit of that principle. Lovest thou me more than these? He is not here. He is risen. No three words embody more hope and eternal consequence for all humankind than those uttered by a heavenly angel on Easter morning at the garden tomb. He is risen. Paul V. Johnson, Elder Paul V. Johnson, once taught that each of us has physical, mental, and emotional limitations and weaknesses. These challenges, some of which seem so intractable now, will eventually be resolved. None of these problems will plague us after we are resurrected, and thank goodness for that. Elder Johnson, speaking of his daughter Elisa, who passed away from cancer prior to her passing, said that she had researched survival rates for persons with the type of cancer that she had, and the numbers were not encouraging. She wrote, but there is a cure, so I'm not scared. Jesus has already cured my cancer and yours. I will be better. I'm glad that I know this. 
we can replace the word cancer, he said, with any of the other physical, mental, or emotional ailments that we may face. Because of the resurrection, they have already been cured too. The miracle of resurrection, the ultimate cure, is beyond the power of modern medicine. But it is not beyond the power of God. We know it can be done because the Savior is resurrected and will bring to pass the resurrection of each of us too. The resurrection of the Savior proves that He is the Son of God, that what He taught is real. He is risen, as He said. There could be no stronger proof of His divinity than Him coming forth from the grave with an immortal body. To echo the testimony of President Uchtdorf, My dear brothers and sisters, my dear friends, I testify that God sees us as we truly are, and He sees us worthy of rescue. You may feel that your life is in ruins. You may have sinned. You may be afraid, angry, grieving, or tortured by doubt. But just as the good shepherd finds his lost sheep, if you will only lift up your heart to the Savior of the world, he will find you. He will rescue you. He will lift you up and place you on his shoulders. He will carry you home. If mortal hands can transform rubble and ruins into a beautiful house of worship, then we can have confidence and trust that our loving Heavenly Father can and will rebuild us. His plan is to build us into something far greater than what we were, far greater than what we ever can imagine. With each step of faith on the path of discipleship, we grow into the beings of eternal glory and infinite joy that we were designed to become. To me, that is the essence of the resurrection. That is the blessing of the resurrection. That is the gift of the resurrection. And I hope as you study the resurrection this week, that you'll be reminded of all these things. And remember that when life gets dark and when it gets dreary and when it gets at times hopeless and you feel broken, that you can draw hope and confidence and strength from the doctrine and principle of the resurrection and from those simple words, He is not here, He is risen. And know that one day we too, because of Christ's atonement and His resurrection, that we too can be risen from any earthly imperfection, struggle, consequence from sin, or other heartbreaking experience that we might have along the way. As always, I hope that these principles and concepts quotes and stories and doctrines have been helpful to you and will be helpful to you this week as you dig in a little bit deeper into this lesson and into these chapters. Remember that that person is greatest and most blessed and joyful whose life most closely approaches the pattern of the Christ. This has nothing to do with earthly wealth, power, or prestige. The only true test of greatness, of blessedness, of joyfulness is how close a life can come to being like the Master Jesus Christ. He is the right way, the full truth, and the abundant life, and He invites us all to come follow me. So let's follow Him better this week and become better as we follow Him. Until next week, everyone, I'm Josh Downs, and you've been listening to Come Follow Me for Teens.